Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and I'm joined today with Linda Schwartz. How are you doing, Linda? I'm awesome. How are you, Hula? It's good to see you and hear you again. Yeah, same here. Like since our last, um, you know, meet up together, I've had such a, a tremendous response to your podcast. A lot of moms could relate with you and a lot of people could relate. So it was really, I just had such an enjoyable time talking to you. Oh, likewise. I've missed you. I've missed you too. But here's the situation I'm dealing with right now. Um, last week, my kid's babysitter tested positive for COVID. So I and my family um, have been quarantining for the past uh, week and a half now. And I have to tell you, it's been really interesting to be <laughs> quarantining. I mean, before, you know, we all quarantined when the, the, the stay-at-home stay orders happened. Of course, we stayed at home, but you still went to the grocery store. You still, you know, maybe went out to eat like I kid you not, for the past week and a half, I've been locked in my house, have not escaped. And with an eight-year-old and a six-year-old that has a special needs, it's not been fun. I'll be honest. Oh, I, I can imagine. I haven't left my house since March 15th of last year. Last so year. <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. As a matter of fact, I'm having food delivered today. I do all of my grocery shopping online. Um, you know, my husband takes my son out. So I've been in quarantine for over a year and I have, I I'm okay with it. I, I enjoy living this way. I'm, I'm a okay. natural recluse recluse anyway. So, okay. Natural. Okay. I, that may, okay. For me, it's, it's new to me. So I'm kind <laughs> of going stir crazy. So if I get a little bit off the beaten track, you'll know why. It's okay. Open a window. Oh, just open a window. <laughs> That's what I'll fine. do. <laughs> Let there be light. Let there be you light. Know, light a candle. Exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of lights, you know, that letting their light being uh, shine um, on today's show, we have an amazing guest. And I have to tell you, she is a civil rights leader and activist for the LGBT rights, HIV, AIDS awareness, health advocacy and social justice. Her life story was one of four main storylines in the 2017 ABC miniseries, When We Rise About LGBT Rights in the 1970s and 1980s. She's also the first transgender woman and first Asian to be elected to, the leader, the, to lead the board of directors of the San Francisco Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Celebration, and the first transgender woman as well as the first person living openly with HIV to chair the San Francisco Human Rights Commission. I mean, that's a lot. I that's mean, amazing. That's a lot. That's amazing. And I'm so honored to welcome Miss Cecilia Chung to the show. How are you, Cecilia? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And hello, Linda and Hi. Hula from up north. Hi. So, uh, you know what? I just want to tell you first and foremost, before we even start the interview, I'm just so honored to be able to speak to you today. I feel like your story, um, you know, is not really spoken in the Asian American or Pacific Islander communities. And I'm so glad that we're able to bring it up. I will apologize ahead of time if I don't use the proper phrasing or the, the you know, proper statements, but you know, that's what you're here for. You're here to, to help us understand a little bit more about that, right? Oh, yes. Um, and, and thank you for um, sharing that, because um, I think that 
some people think that, you know, like our community, the transgender community, get really rigid with pronouns. But actually, you know, like we can be quite forgiving if we know that people are trying. Absolutely. And then that's what the goal of this show today, especially, is to give awareness and to actually, you know, let people know that, you know, this story, your story is here. And with that being said, I'll just start it off by asking, tell us about, you know, your life and and when you made the realization that you were born because you were born with gender, with a male, you know, as a male. Um, and when did you realize that you were in the wrong body? Okay. So we usually say that, you know, like we were assigned um, the male at, at birth. And, okay. um, and I think that, you know, like that's a very common story shared by, you know, like um, transgender women is that they felt different. And so it's no different for me that I, I just didn't feel like I was in the right body. Um, and like, I didn't really make a whole lot of, um, make a whole lot of things about it until um, I came to the United States. You know, like I, the first time I encountered anything remotely like uh, transgender women were um, reading about the female impersonators, you know, in Singapore, you know, um, who perform as like, um, cabaret performers and you know and they do they did lip syncs and and in one part of me thought that you know like there's something that connected me to to these you know like women um, but another part of me that makes me feel like you know like that's a lot of work you know you have to dress up you have to do makeup you have to wear those like high heels you know in order for people to recognize you as a woman, you know, that's a lot of work. Um, so I didn't really do anything until I came to the United States. I moved here with my family in um, in the early 80s. And, um, and a friend of mine actually introduced me to um, a, the transgender community here in San Francisco. Um, and I think that it's also very common for a lot of like Asian and Pacific Islanders um, folks um, that they are, they were afraid to come out to their family, and that's what happened to me. I was afraid to share, you know, how I really felt with my parents, um, and I decided to change that when I graduate college. Um, unfortunately, you know, like like most parents who had no experience dealing with LGBT kids, um, they didn't they didn't accept me for my truth. And so there were a few years that, you know, we had a fallout and that's when I um, actually became homeless. Um, I was like trying to survive on the streets of San Francisco. And, um, and during that time, I also um, zero converted to um, HIV positive. These all happened before I turned 30. Wow. Wow. And so you, you know, going through your life, you know, telling your parents, I mean, was that the, I mean, how did that all happen as far as like, you know, when did you get the courage to let your parents know that you felt this certain way? Um, I think that I thought I was like having, you know, like um, some economic stability. I had mm -hmm. two jobs. I was working as a court interpreter um, for one of the Bay Area counties. And also I have another job as a, um, a um, and trainer for like a financial companies, you know, like to like 
teach people how to do closing and like soft sales and all that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was making good income, but because I came out as trans, you know, it's not something that I can hide. And, you know, and some of the changes were pretty noticeable. And so eventually um, I end up like losing both of those jobs. And, um, and I'm talking about a time when there were no protections in California yet um, against, you know, employment discriminations for transgender people. And so, um, so I, um, you know, I became jobless, you know, like, and um, it's, it's not exactly overnight, but it felt like it was overnight and overnight, you know, I felt that, you know, I just had nothing because like I was like 26, 27 and mm -hmm. I didn't know what saving was, I guess, you know, like, so that, right. that's not very typical of an Asian person. That was typical of my life. I totally get that. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I didn't save a bit. I, I'm still having a hard time saving now, but same, same. You know, and I'm nearly forty, so um, yeah. So I, 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 I didn't save. I didn't save um, any money. So you know, like I had nothing to fall back on. You know, like and then when my parents, you know, and I were not on speaking term, I really had no one to turn to except, you know, like trying to figure out how to survive and, you know, put foot on the table and, you know, like find a roof to um, sleep under. Um, and yeah, and and it was, it was like not a, a time that I would to, I wanted to go back to, you know, like, but mm -hmm. um, I think that those experiences, you know, kind of like, um, drive me to do what I'm doing today, you know, like activism and really looking at how to make lives better, you know, like for, you know, for Asian Pacific Islanders, you know, for LGBT folks and people living with HIV. I don't think that, you know, these kind of like stories needs to um, happen again to anybody else. So I, I have a question for you, Cecilia. Um, you know, after working in the finance and and um, as the court interpreter, and then losing your job and becoming homeless and and all of that, I mean, how did you transition from all of that into um, advocating for LGBT health issues? Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yes, um, it's kind of a slow process, you know, like, so it, it's not like I, you know, I came out as trans and then overnight, you know, I became, you know, like a full-time activist and, right. you know, and I still had to like struggle with my own life. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it was like around 1995, like when I was attacked by two men um, mm. and I was hospitalized and, um, and the emergency room, like, call my mom because that was the only number I had on top of my head. You know, mind you, that's before we have, like, all these, like, mobile technology. You know, right. the, the cell phone in that era, like, cost an arm and a leg. And so, you know, it, we still rely on, you know, like, the rotary phones um, to call. So, luckily, you know, my mom was at home. She picked up the phone and she came to see me and we started to reconcile, you know, like, and... You know, during that time, you know, I was trying to slowly recover from like all the traumas that I experienced. Um, and one of the ways that, you know, I did that was really to 
find way to heal these trauma, not by going back in time, but, mm-hmm. you know, by doing something that I felt is contributing to supporting the community. So I became an HIV test counselor for UCSF, okay. like for a few years, you know, that's what I was doing. And then um, from there, I became a substance abuse counselors and also um, placing, doing placement for people with like um, dual diagnosis. When we say dual diagnosis, usually it means somebody like with a mental health diagnosis as well as, you know, like a substance use um, diagnosis. And and so I did that for a few years um, before I started to like work with the homeless and becoming, you know, like a case manager for one of the like first master leasing program um, from San Francisco, you know, like for, for the homeless. And because of all these works, I realized that, you know, there's a not, lot of needs out there, you know, like mm-hmm. if there's enough resources, you know, like people would not have to struggle so much to find the resources to help them, um, you know, heal and help, help them recover. And so that's when I started to switch into policy advocacy, because I think that, you know, it's great to help people by doing direct services, but mm-hmm. it's even better, you know, to be able to like fight for more resources for them. And then, you know, like more people would benefit from that. So that's paved my way to like the work that I do today. That's amazing. That is wow. amazing. Wow, you've been on such a transformative journey in, you know, so many ways, obviously. Um, but I, And I have a, a personal question for you because I have a nephew who's trans. And when I, when he told the family this, um, actually, I didn't come to learn about it until a Facebook post from him. And, you know, it's, I, I wasn't surprised. I've, I've always loved him and I always will. And I, it, it really triggered something inside of me because I didn't know how to have that conversation with him. Can you share some tips maybe for people out there who may have family members who are transitioning or going through transition or um, is coming out as trans who might just want to be supportive, but don't know how and how to start a conversation like that. And, and Linda, let me first say that, you know, your experience is not unique. I think that, you know, it's a common stories told by um, many in the Asian Pacific Islander communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that they never realized, you know, like one of their own family member might be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or or queer identify or um, or non-binary. Um, and so, what we really would like to encourage people is that keep an open mind and keep an open door. Um, so it really depends on if your nephew is ready to talk about it. If your nephew is not ready to talk about it, it doesn't matter how you bring it up, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and so I think that the best thing to do is to let him know that you would always be there for him, um, Done. regardless. Yes. yes, and you know, and let him know that if um, he needs any resources or you know, like, and he needs support, he can 
come to you and then you can always you know email me or like reach out to me and I'd be happy to like um, yes all of that has been offered for sure yeah yeah and also there's another organizations you know like specifically for the Asian Pacific Islander LGBT communities and their parents it's called API Family Pride Mm -hmm. Um, and it started over um, 15 years ago, you know, like, because, you know, like, um, there is another organization called PFLAG, which is like parents for lesbian and gays. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it didn't really have a strong Asian focus, you know, like, so culturally speaking. And so um, that organization was born. And you can actually Google and find out more information about it. And, you know, like that, that's also one way of like, um, getting some support. The other is that, you know, in um, Southern California, like Northern California, um, we have like this organizations, you know, like call um, Asian Pacific um, Islander. I, I forgot what is the, the full name, you know, but um, it is API equality. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and so they actually also have a lot of programs, you know, to support LGBT youth, especially, you know, around intergeneration dialogues, you know, to make sure that they learn from the lessons that, you know, like some of the LGBT elders, you know, from the community had to share with them. Okay. No, that's great advice. Absolutely. Because I do remember a time when, you know, uh, for me personally, my brother um, was actually outed. Um, he he had confided into a cousin um, and came out, um, you know, he's gay. And he was outed by that cousin uh, to the family. So he didn't really get that opportunity to share his, you know, when he was ready. It just was, boom, out there in the family. And, um, you know, luckily he was surrounded by, you know, my, my siblings were very open and we, we always love him. And, but my parents had a really hard time, you know, accepting him. So I'm glad there are those resources that are out there for people to, you know, whether you are, you know, transitioning or going or coming out, or, you know, you are a parent and you, you need a resource to, you know, I'm glad they're out there. Where can they find these resources again? Um, so in um, in Northern California, there is um, the Asian and Pacific Islander Equality, um, and it is you know an organization that does advocacy or, and create programs you know to connect API LGBT communities, um, and um, that's one place. And you know, like for the parents, you know, like who wanted to learn more about how to support the LGBT children, they can look up. API family pride. Oh, that's great. Then that's really, really great information. Speaking of, you know, pride and strength and hope, like who actually helped you overcome, you know, the adversities you had to deal with during your darkest time? Well, sadly, at that time, you know, like there was really not a whole lot of resources, you know, like I actually experienced like two nervous breakdown, you know, like, and, you know, like, and I had to rely on, you know, like psychiatric intervention, you know, to really help me find my way back, you know, so there were a lot of angels, you know, in my life back then, you know, Mm -hmm. to actually, they actually saved my life, literally, you know, Um, you know, like these like crisis intervention, um, you know, like um, service providers, um, they always on the front line, you know, like, and um, trying to help those who are in crisis, you know, like, and I benefited 
from you know like their services you know like and um yeah i was like pretty beat up you know when i um found these services you know and um it was through them that i realized you know i can do something to change um you know the whole situations and i think that the biggest drive for me was having my family back in my life. And I just mm. want to share that with other LGBT um, folks, you know, in the community and um, who might not be out to their parents yet, you know, like, and um, I would really encourage everyone to give their parents, you know, like um, some room because I don't think that they were blaming us for coming out, you know, like in a way, I think that they were blaming themselves for not mm -hmm. knowing how to, like um, support us. And so like patience and, you know, and, you know, like really looking at going back to some of our like traditional values, you know, like that, you know, like the family bonds, you know, like would usually prevail. Oh man. Wow. Cecilia. I'm so glad you said that because in all honesty, you know, uh, when my brother came out, it was hard for him. Um, you know, being Asian American, you know, we kind of, our culture, we're instilled with a lot of uh, things like pride and, and, you know, we don't want to be embarrassed. And especially with our parents, you know, being Asian American or Pacific Islander, there's a lot of pride in the community and in the culture. So it is hard for a lot of, uh, you know, people to come out or for parents to understand because they always end up blaming themselves. So I'm glad you really said that. I, I'm very appreciative. Yeah, and, and I think that there is a silver lining, um, Hula, is that um, as we see more visibility, you know, of the trans communities, um, there are more shows now, you know, like that featured, mm -hmm. you know, like transgender characters. And also there are some like famous, you know, actors, you know, who had come out, you know, like so one of the very prominent one was Laverne Cox, you know, like, or... Yes. Um, or yep. the young lady who played me in When We Rise, you know, Ivory Aquino. Um, and and I think that, you know, the more that people can see us as humans and, you know, like, and, you know, and to see that, you know, like we're no different from, from them, you know, like we would see more acceptance. And I think that that's what we're seeing now is that, you know, like um, the parents um, today um, had a much more open mind you know, like then, you know, like the parenting, you know, back in the um, the 80s and 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely had to pave the way, especially, you know, now there's a lot more, like you said, a lot of more actors and actresses coming out and a lot more people that are supporting the community. Um, that Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I cannot even imagine what you went through and, and all the dark places that you ended up because you didn't have those resources uh, that was out there for people. Yeah, I, I wish I could take credit for that and said that I did pave the way. But actually, there were a lot of like very um, courageous, you know, like predecessors um, who actually help, you know, like to facilitate these conversations. So, you know, like they are the true heroes. And because a lot of times they just like play their part and then didn't really get any recognition. Um, so, you know, I, I'll just take this as an opportunity, you know, to also share my gratitude, you know, that, you know, we, our, our hope is that each generation would have a better future. And, you know, like, and I think that we are on that path now. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, we're still, 
we're still, you know, as a country, it's it's starting to get better, do you think? Or do you feel like we're still far behind? What are your thoughts about, you know, in general? It's hard to say, Hula, because I think that um, some of um, the challenges we see is that um, there are also misinformations. You know, like we have never right. seen as much misinformations out there who actually spread, you know, like, um, like in inaccurate facts, you know, about um, people who are LGBT. So, and, you know, and these, unfortunately, stigma and stereotypes are still being perpetuated, you know, in some of the more conservative, like um, TV stations and, you know, and conservative media. So I think that in order to really change, you know, like we need more folks um, to speak up, you know, especially, you know, like if you're LGBT and you have like very conservative family, you know, like find ways to have some of these conversations, you know, and once they realize that, you know, like you are part of the family, their attitude might shift because, you know, like we fight hard for our own family. No, absolutely. When can you share that? Especially you talked about earlier, you know, getting back into your family, you know, relationship. Um, like how did that all happen? Did your parents, you know, yeah. How did, did you get back with your relationship with your family? It was quite elaborate process, you know, and, um, and kudos to my mom. And I think that she just broke the news to, um, the family, you know, like one at a time. And the first mm -hmm. to know were my grandparents. Um, I remember um, going out to lunch with my grandparents on my birthday. And the first things that my grandmother said to me um, was that I look beautiful, you know, and, you know, like those words meant the world to me and mm. I would never forget it. And, um, you know, like, and, and those are what we need, you know, like, is like, more loving and support, you know, like from, um, from family. And I was one of the lucky ones to have that in my life. No, I, like I said before, my brother, it, it took years uh, for my parents to understand, but as uh, you know, his, my brother, my brother and my um, other uh, siblings, uh, as we kind of educated my parents more, they kind of, started understanding and i think it's just having to have them understand you know that it's there's no fault everybody you know i feel like a lot of times with asian americans and pacific islanders they always feel like there's a fault or there's a failure and there is no fault or failure you know what i mean yeah and i think that you know like um like one of the things that i think it's important to realize also is that we have to live our own life you know like as much as our parents you know like want the best for us you know like it's ultimately you know like our own decisions that matters in our life so our parents can only help us so much and so like some of these you know like um in the beginning you know the frictions or you know like or you know like the fallout or something you know like have patience you know, like, and, you know, and just give them time to turn, come around. And eventually, I really believe that, you know, like once they see that, you know, like we live a great and full and happy life, you know, like they would come around. So Cecilia, you know, you mentioned earlier, you are a college graduate, but, you know, being highly educated, you still ended up in your situation. Like, how did that happen? Well, I think that that's the point. Um, ultimately, is that, 
I graduated college before I came out, but college didn't prepare me like for what is to come. They didn't teach me how to come out to my parents. They didn't teach me how to survive homelessness. And they definitely didn't teach me, you know, how to prevent violence to happen in my life. And I think that a lot of that also could be avoided, you know, if we give enough room to, um, you know, to folks who are still struggling to come out or struggling with who they are. Um, what they need is, you know, like, you know, that they would have support unconditionally from their family. Right. So, Cecilia, you are currently the director of Evaluation and Strategic Initiatives Transgender Law Center. Um, where could, you know, folks find out information to learn and and to support your community? Oh, um Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, you know, like the organizations I work for is um, Transgender Law Center, and mm-hmm. you can visit our website at transgenderlawcenter.org. And in there, you will see um, a new um, initiative that we launched called the Trans Agenda for Liberations. So it has five pillars to um, that initiatives and a lot of that is about intergeneration dialogues about you know like um access to healthcare um housings and employment and also um about racial justice well thank you so much cecilia for being with us it was such a pleasure to hear your story and get to know you and thank you again for sharing all of those resources i know that for me Um, having that information will help me get closer to my nephew and um, just be better available to him and to anybody else who comes out as transgender in my life. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure being with you and um, we'll talk soon. Oh my gosh, Cecilia, you are amazing. Uh, I learned so much and I would love to talk to you more about, you know, your story because it's just, it's inspiring and it's, it's fascinating. You're such an incredible person. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. And for those of you that want to learn more about her story, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Also, if you have suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. You can also subscribe to the podcast, any podcast platform that you listen to. Uh, you just can search Asian Voices Radio Podcast, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So until next time, I'm Hula Ramos, and on behalf of my co-host, Linda Schwartz, we'd like to thank you so much for listening, and please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Take care, everyone.